If you have your Bibles with you, please open up to 2 Peter. We're going to be at the end of 2 Peter 1. In just a minute, I'm going to read verses 16 to 21. As a man with two daughters, using a public restroom wall with the children can be tricky. Especially when your children are younger. Like, what do I do with them? And you're so thankful for every family restroom you, you, you find, which is not problem-free, but, but, but better. Now, to dads out there with young kids, it does get better. Uh, as your kids get older, my girls now are six and nine, I can give them clear instructions about waiting outside. They don't have to go in with me. Of course, you know, in, 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 in certain places, like not necessarily, you know, truck stops or anything. But in certain places, they're fine to wait outside. I give them careful instructions, but it's important that they listen to me carefully and that they listen to only me because their safety is dependent upon it. God has given us instructions in his word how we are to wait until the promised return of his son but we have to listen to his promises. And that's what what Peter's going to be talking about now in 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 21. You're going to see in verse 16, we talked about this last time we were in 2 Peter a couple weeks ago, describes the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his powerful coming, his, his return to this earth. And he's going to tell us how we should wait. Let me begin in 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow, and this is talking about James and Peter and John, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, by God himself, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Let's pray. Now, Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that we just read something precious. We read the words of men as they spoke from you, men spoke from God. And what a mystery that is. We pray, Lord, that we would learn to be good listeners and to pay attention and, and particularly uh, to have our hearts waiting for you to fulfill your promises. Please, Lord, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Peter wrote to the churches uh, of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, to counter the influence of false teachers who were, who, were, who were coming up in, in those churches. And these false teachers were teaching that Jesus Christ wasn't going to return. He wasn't coming back. And that's why what we just read in verses 16 to 18, 
Peter had said, we saw transform Jesus. We got a sneak peek of what it was going to be like when Jesus returns. We know that Jesus is coming back. These false teachers were saying, though, that he wasn't going to, to return, that there would be no judgment. And without Jesus returning, without a promise of future judgment, all you have is, is this life. And these false teachers were living and probably teaching that what you did in this life really didn't matter. So just go ahead and please your flesh and just do what you want. You're free to pursue your desires. Of course, Peter's countering that false teaching. And so he's urging Christians in 2 Peter 1 to live theologically consistent lives. To live as if they really have received God's grace to live as those who know Jesus Christ, not just know facts about him, but those who have been transformed by him. So that's why in verse 3, he reminds them that God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, that they have the ability in Christ Jesus to live holy lives. Verse 4, that describes his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That, that you're different, that you've been changed, that you have these great and precious promises, that you can live a life that is pleasing to God, that you don't have to be useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as it in verse 8, but instead in verse 10, that you are to be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing us. And that is by living holy and transformed lives, to be cultivating the qualities that he described in verses 5 through 7. And I encourage you, if you haven't read through 2 Peter 1, read through it again. This morning, I'm reading through those verses, verses 5 through 7, and those qualities he describes are challenging. Am I growing in, in, in godliness? Am I growing in brotherly kindness? Am I growing in love? Am I keeping after using these resources that God has given me? Well, the false teachers that were in the churches of Asia Minor were saying, you don't need to worry about that. Jesus isn't coming back. He's not going to judge you. So live an easy life. More pleasure, less cost. You don't, you don't need to worry about the cost of following Jesus. Well, last time in 2 Peter, Peter challenged the saints to be convinced of Jesus' powerful re re return. He described it as the power and coming of, of the Lord Jesus. And he convinced them with a testimony that Peter, James, and John had seen when they saw Jesus glorified. When they saw Jesus on, on the mount transfigured or changed. When they heard God speak from heaven. It says in verse 16 that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this utterance from heaven. So Peter's convincing them. Jesus is coming back. We've seen him. We've heard him. This is going to happen. But that's not all that he uses to convince them. In verses 19 to 21, which we're going to look at this morning, Peter directs our attention to the validity of prophecy so that we will pay attention until Christ returns. He directs our attention to the validity of prophecy, so that we will pay attention until Christ returns. So this morning we're going to see three ways that we're to respond to God's promises until Jesus returns. Three ways where we should respond to God's promises until Christ returns. The first is we need to wait 
confidently for God to fulfill the rest of his promises. We need to wait confidently for God to fulfill the rest of his promises. He says in the beginning of verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. The we there likely and and, and and it is not certain, but refers back to those who were eyewitnesses of his majesty in verses 16 to 18. The three men, Peter, James, and John, who saw Jesus transformed, who saw Jesus glorified, who heard that voice. And it says, we, and we think that it refers to them because of the contrast that that comes up. He says, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well. So he's making a contrast between we and you. So we, the apostles who were there, have this prophetic word made more sure. Now, he's not just, just gloating and saying, we've got it and you don't. He wants us to apply that, but he's saying, we have seen Jesus transformed. Now, this, now this prophetic word refers to the prophecies of, of the Old Testament, particularly those that focus on Jesus' future reign and the future day, day of the Lord. We're going to talk about those soon. And it says that they have these future prophecies made more sure, or ESV has more fully confirmed. Confirmed, it's reliable, it's trustworthy, it's, 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 it's something that you can lean on and you're confident it's not going to give way. It won't, give, it won't cause disappointment to anyone who relies on it. Now, it's a good question to ask, how can this prophetic word be made more sure? How can it be made more sure than it already is? And some are thinking here that, the, uh, that Peter means that the prophetic word made more sure. It's more sure than the apostolic te- uh, 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 Testimony than what Peter, James, and John heard and saw. So we have the prophetic word more sure than what we saw with our ears and we heard with our ears and we saw with our eyes. But that would defeat what Peter's point was in verses 16 to 18. He's not saying the Old Testament is more valid than what we saw and what we heard. In fact, these are the apostles who who proclaimed the gospel, it would really be ultimately saying, uh, we're not really a valid source of testimony. So everything we told you about Jesus, you really don't need to believe that. You just have to believe what the Old Testament says. Because you know, the Old Testament is more valid, it's more sure than what we saw and heard. Well, the prophets would, the apostles would never say that. I mean, it, it would completely undo our confidence in, in the New Testament. Instead, what Peter heard and saw confirms the prophetic word regarding the coming Messiah. See, it wasn't that the prophecy of the Old Testament was somehow deficient. It wasn't that it needed to be validated. But the truth has been revealed in Christ. That Some of those promises have come true. Peter, James, and John have seen what the Son of Man will be like when he comes in glory. Now, a promise isn't more true after you keep it, right? A promise isn't more true after you keep it. It's just that it has been confirmed. Having seen Christ in his glory once, the apostles knew that they would see Christ in his glory again. 
The glorification of Christ on the holy mountain confirms the validity of the rest of Scripture's promises. Not that it needs it, but it does. Peter's saying, we've seen Christ glorified. We know that Jesus is returning. This is definite. This is going to happen. We know what Scripture says, but we've also seen it. We have that prophetic word made more sure. And so, so do we. The apostles had that confidence, and we do too. What they beheld, what they saw, what they heard, ought to confirm to us that God will keep his promises. See, the glorification of Christ, what James and Peter and John saw, wasn't a hoax like Groundhog Day. You, you, you know what Groundhog Day is, right? That, that uh, supposedly a gopher named Phil pops up, and if, if, he, if he sees a shadow, it means that there will be six more weeks of, of winter. So there's you know, a really profound correlation there between a gopher shadow and the next six weeks of winter. Well, that, well that's a hoax, right? It's not true. There's no correlation between these two events. Right? If you see six weeks of winter, it doesn't go back and confirm it. Oh, well, that whole shadow thing, it must be true. The glorification of Christ that Peter, James, and John saw does confirm what Scripture says. There is a, a direct correlation. It's not a hoax. So we can join Peter in being convinced of the rest of Scripture, that everything that God promises is going to come true. Christ will return in glory. The dead will be raised. The saints will be transformed. The nations will be judged. Christ will reward his people. Christ will reign on this earth for 1,000 years. God will keep all the promises made, whether to Israel or to the church. God is faithful. And when Peter, James, and John saw Christ in his glory, this is before even he died on the cross. This is before he resurrected. They knew it. Those promises were confirmed. And so that is what we do now. We wait confidently. We have those prophecies, as if it were possible, made more sure. We know because God has spoken from heaven. The apostles saw Jesus in glory. They heard God's voice say, this is the one who is fulfilling prophecy. This is my son. We have the prophetic word made more sure. So we are those who wait confidently. When you see the sun rise, you're confident the sun is going to rise again. And when you saw Christ glorified, when Peter, James, and John saw him glorified, they knew that he would return in glory. So we are those who, like Peter, wait with confidence. And that is one way we are to respond. We also, second, if you would remain faithful, if you want to be one of those who remain faithful until the end, pay attention to God's promises. If you would remain faithful, pay attention to God's promises. We're going to see this in the second half of verse 19. Will you remain faithful to Christ until he returns? Will you, will you be one of those who keep denying themselves 
Or will you get grow tired of saying no? Will you keep proclaiming the gospel? Or will you grow ashamed? Will you keep making disciples? Or will you kind of opt out and take the easier way? Are you going to be one of those who remains faithful? If you would remain faithful, you have to pay attention to God's promises. It's the second half of verse 19. To which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. That, 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 that do well, it's doing what is right, doing the, the right thing. In James 2.8, uh, James talks about, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. It's that idea of keeping God's law, of being obedient. You are doing well if you do this, to which you do well to pay attention, to pay attention, to give heed to, 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 to follow. Now, the, the, the word can be used in a negative way of being, being beware of something, to be on guard against something. It means to not ignore, to not to not d- d- dismiss something. I recently got a wisdom tooth out, and I was really concerned that this wisdom tooth would not get infected, right? So, or well, the lack of wisdom tooth, whatever could happen with that gaping hole. And, and so the dentist uh, sends you home with, with these instructions. I don't know if you've ever looked at them. It looks like they've pasted and copied them from several different sources. And you're like, you're trying to figure out exactly what you should do. And you read through it several times, or at least I do, being cautious, because I don't want anything negative to happen. I don't want to have to go back. It's that kind of caution when you're listening to, to, to medical instructions. You're paying heed. You're giving attention. I'm going to make sure to not suck from a straw for so many hours. And then I'm going to make sure to rinse my mouth out with salt water. I'm going to do exactly what it says. It says no, no hot drinks for 24 hours. I had cold coffee in the fridge in the morning. It wasn't 24 hours yet. Okay, It's that kind of caution. It may be overdoing it. It's the way you, you should follow instructions when you are concerned while doing a, a home, a, a, a home uh, re, 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 repair, and you want to make sure you don't get electrocuted. Okay? If, if, if you're really concerned about not getting injured, you're going to follow the instructions perfectly. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 46, and I, and I just picked a couple of these verses. Scripture's full of them. Proverbs is full of them. Deuteronomy 32, verse 46, take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today. Proverbs 4.20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Listen, pay attention, heed, follow. Give me your ear. And we are to give attention to what? You do well if you, get, if you pay attention. And then verse 19, to which you will do well, it's to the prophetic word, to the promises that Scripture has about Christ and his return. And, and it says to pay attention, to do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place. Like someone who is in the woods at night and he doesn't have a flashlight with him and he sees a light out in the distance. 
He doesn't want to lose that. The only chance he has of getting home is to follow that light. He doesn't know how long it's going to be on for. He doesn't know if it's going to be on the next day, right? I need to follow that. Or if you're in a cave and you see a light ahead, and, it, and, and as you move, it moves, and you're going to keep following that. As a lamp shining in a dark place, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, you're concerned that, that if that light goes out, that you would lose your way, that you would be lost forever, that your wandering would never stop. Now, when Peter talks about as to a lamp shining in a dark place, I don't know how much to, 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 to make of the dark place being a metaphor. Scripture, though, is full of darkness as a metaphor, and so it's easy to, to think that, that Peter probably has it in mind that this life is dark, that there's the darkness of sin. Proverbs 4, verse 19. And, 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 uh, it, and, and if you have notes, I have put uh, uh, the, the, the scripture references at the bottom and, and even more that, that I'm not going to mention. Proverbs four nineteen: The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Ephesians five eleven talks about the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Romans 13.12, again, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. Ephesians 4.18 describes the effects of sin on our mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that, that, that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And this is this, this darkness that we live in and which we've escaped but can still be persuasive, that we could return to the darkness of sin. And our thinking could be affected by the deceit of sin. And we live in a world that is definitely dark with sin. Sin that is calling out to us. Sin that seeks to deceive us. Sin that seeks to make us confused, kind of like spinning us around in the woods at night and telling us to find our way out. That is what sin does. This world is dark with sin, but it's also discouraging. Right? It doesn't take a whole lot of news to feel the darkness of this world. And the light of the prophetic word of God's promise is necessary when you mourn over the sin of this world, when you mourn over the consequences of sin, of, of, of Satan's deceit, deceit, deceit upon this world. As you listen to the news or to the radio or, or, or see the, the headlines just kind of keep scrolling, and you're like, Lord, when are you coming to make this world right? It's so dark. As your heart yearns for Jesus to come and to dispel darkness. So what are we supposed to be doing while we are in this dark world combating the remaining darkness even in our own hearts? To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. For how long? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, paying attention to prophecy doesn't mean that we need to spend our tr time trying to figure out exactly all the details of how prophecy is going to, 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 be, to be fulfilled. That's kind of outside the scope of Second Peter. Some people kind of make a, a, a hobby of that. You know, where you're trying to figure out, well, what is this mark of the beast? And it's probably a barcode. Or it's probably a microchip. Or it's probably our serial number. And really, history shows that, that a bad record of trying to match up current events with, with prophecy. 
right? It, it, it just shows it's really easy to get that wrong. It's really easy to spend a whole lot of time trying to do that. And that's not really what Peter's talking about in paying attention. Instead, Peter's talking about focusing on the big events that are spoken about in Scripture again and again. The return of Christ. The transformation of God's people to be like his son. The resurrection of the dead. The establishment of God's kingdom on earth. Unjustice prevailing over the earth when Christ reigns of the rewards that are going to be given to the saints, on the restoration of Israel, on the eternal state. Those are the kinds of things in Scripture that come up again and again and again. Look towards the broad brushstrokes of prophecy, the often repeated. Now, not necessarily don't spend your time as you pay attention, like daydreaming about details. Oh, who's this country here? Is that Russia? You can spend a lot of time daydreaming about how all these prophecies come together and miss the point. What are you waiting for? Pay attention until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, this day dawning here is most likely in Scripture the, the, the a day of the Lord. In the scripture, that day, that day of the Lord is an, is an often used phrase, and it's a, a day of deliverance for God's people and of judgment for, for, for God's enemies. It's the next step in God's plan for the earth, and scripture is full of references to, 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 to the day of the Lord. I've, I've got some more for you in, in your notes. I'm just going to read a couple. Uh, here, here's one picture of it in Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 13. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Now, this matches up with the return of Christ, Matthew, 25, uh, Matthew uh, 23 to 25. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold uh, of uh, Ophir. You just have to worry about it. It's going to be scarcer than gold, humans. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. The day of the Lord is coming. First Thessalonians 5, 2, a couple New Testament references. You yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Or 2 Peter, the same book we're talking in, talks about the day of the Lord. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. It is, it is that whole period beginning with Christ's return and, and, and continuing on until the, 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 the complete remaking of heaven and, and, and earth, the day of the Lord, the final stage in God's plan for human history. And for those of us who are right with the Lord, it is a day we anticipate because it's going to be begin with Christ's return. And for those of you who are not right with the Lord, it is a day which you should dread. If you are not right with the Lord, 
Peter and Paul both talk about that thief coming, I mean, that day coming like a thief in the night. You don't know when Jesus is returning. And you don't know when he is going to divide those who have obeyed him from those who have disobeyed him, from those who he has made right with him and those who are still wrong with him. Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Have you been one of those who have been changed by Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted him to take the punishment of your sins? Have you been cleansed and forgiven by him? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come and you'll find rest. Jesus is willing for you to come to him so that you can be forgiven by him, so that you will be ready for this day of the Lord when he returns. Scripture is very clear, clear that no one knows the day or the hour when he returns. So the question you have to ask is, am I ready? Am I ready for this day? Am I ready for this next major event in human history? Jesus is willing for you to come to him. He is eager to save. This is the day, this is, this is the coronation of God's son on earth. And that's why it, it is accompanied by and preceded by the morning star arises in your hearts. The morning star rises in your hearts. And the, the morning star was a name for the planet Venus, which in the ancient world, it, it, it was the, the star that precedes dawn. It was a herald of the coming of the, of, of the new day, of sunrise. The morning star refers here to Jesus Christ. And uh, our, our, our our, our brother Ben mentioned in Equipping Hour, the prophecy of Numbers 24, and I'm going to read some of that now. And here, this is God's prophecy through wicked ba Balaam, but it probably gives some of the insight into where this reference uh, of, of Peter's to Jesus as the morning star comes from. Numbers 24, verses 17, and, and the part of 19. I see him, but not now. So this is a, a wicked prophet that God uses to, 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 to proclaim the, the, the future of Israel. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from, from Israel. And this is a prophecy of the coming Jesus. Verse 19. One from Jacob shall have, 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 have dominion. Excuse me. And that is that prophecy, that morning star. That star will rise from, from Israel. It's a different Greek word that the author of, of, of John in Revelation 22, verse 16 says, I am the root and the descendant of David, Jesus says, the bright morning star. And Peter describes this bright morning star, the, the, that, 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 that star that precedes dawn. It says, Peter says, the morning star arises in your hearts. Now, that arising in your heart, it doesn't mean that, oh, it's just, I've got this great warm feeling. I've got Jesus rising in my heart, so I know that the day of the Lord is coming. No, it's, it's not just talking about the joy that we'll have, although we, we will have joy. It is the full effect of Christ's return on his people. The uh, word heart in the Greek New Testament, it's the center of, it's the source of the whole inner life. It's, it's, 
It's the sun rising in our, Jesus Christ rising in our thinking, rising in our feeling, rising in our wills. It's for us to be transformed by Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. If you've put your faith in him, you are children of God. And it's not It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We're going to be transformed. We haven't seen it yet. It's going to happen. We know that when he appears, when that morning star rises, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. The light of Jesus will make all other lights useless. It's kind of like like going outside on a sunny day at noon and using your smartphone flashlight. Right? Scripture is going to become become outdated. We're going to have Jesus in person. He will arise and our hearts will be transformed to be like him. We'll have everything that scripture's been pointing to in Christ himself. But until the morning star arises in our hearts, until we see Christ on earth in his unparalleled glory, we are to pay attention to prophecy. We are to heed it. We're to cling to it. We're to cling to the promises that the Son of Man, of His return and of His reward and of the resurrection of the dead and of His reign. And to cling to those promises is really to be transformed now because we're going to live differently than those who ignore them. It's like the parable of the, of, uh, of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. And five of those of those women were were were, were ready for the groom, to, the, the 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 bridegroom to return, but five weren't. Those five that were waiting, that were expectant, that were paying attention, they were ready. They were living differently. Their 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 their, their oil was was ready to go. If we are paying attention to the return of Christ, we are going to live differently now. We will spend differently if we are paying attention to the return of Christ. We will parent differently if we're paying attention to the return of Christ. We will pray differently, and we will deny ourselves differently. We will give of ourselves differently. We will love our neighbors differently if we wait expectantly, if we are paying attention. If the next big thing in our lives is Jesus Christ's return, it's going to transform all of our lives. So how do you want Christ to find you when he returns? Do you want him to find you faithful and obeying? Then pay attention to God's promises. Cling to them like a child does when all of a sudden the lights go out or they enter into a dark room and they instinctively reach to their parents' hand. Right? Cling to God's promises. Don't don't lose the light of them now. God's promises are a lighthouse, and they will lead us safely to our eternal harbor if we pay attention to them. Pay attention until we get to see with our own eyes that morning star rise, and until we see the day of the Lord, until we see Christ in all of his victory. So we need to to, to, to respond to, 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 to Peter's teaching about prophecy here. We need to wait, to wait with confidence for God to fulfill the rest of his promises. We've seen some of them. We know that he is going to to, to fulfill the rest. 
We need to, uh, if we're going to remain faithful, we need to pay attention to God's promises. And number three, we need to come humbly to God's word to hear God speak. And this is how we're to respond to God's word. We're to come humbly to God's word to hear God speak. And this is our third way we're to respond. Come humbly to God's word to hear God speak. Verses 20 to 21. So Peter says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And that, but, but it, we're in our New American Standard says, but know this first of all. It's knowing this. And, and it really probably points us back to how do we do this? How do we pay attention to God's prophecy as a light? Well, you have to know something. You have to be confident of something. If we're going to pay attention to prophecy, we need to have, have convictions about God's word and, and specifically about prophecy. I mean, Im- imagine trying to lead your boat into harbor and you don't really have confidence in the lighthouse, right? You're like, well, that lighthouse, it could be shifting. You know, it's really a floating lighthouse and I don't really know where that lighthouse is. Would you have a much confidence bringing your boat into a rocky harbor? Of course not. Your confidence is that it's stable. And if we are going to, to, to really continue faithfully, we need to have confidence in, in God's word. So we have to know that no prophecy of Scripture, in verse 20, is a matter of, of one's own interpretation. And that word Scripture is is what is written down. So, so, so here it's referring to the Old Testament, although it's pretty neat. At the end of 2 Peter, uh, Peter is going to, to refer to it to, 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 to what Paul has written as well. So it is scripture, uh, it, it is scripture, it is written down, it is God's word. Now, some translate the, 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 this verse and interpret it as being about the writing of scripture. That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of, one, of, of one's own interpretation. That Scripture doesn't come from oneself, it comes from God. And, and some people take, take it as about the origin of, of Scripture. But I, but I think that the best uh, way to understand this is that meaning of God's Word does not depend on one's own, own interpretation. Interpretation, the word is the untying or the unraveling, or the solving. See, Scripture is not a matter of what any one person says, it means this. The false teachers were reinterpreting prophecy, and they were doing that so that they could dismiss what God says. They were ignoring the the, the clear original meaning of what God's word says. They were explaining away God's promises of the son's return and explaining away future judgment, proclaiming that life now is as it always will be. And, and, and perhaps that's why in 2nd in, in Peter 2, verse 1, Peter describes them as false teachers instead of false prophets. They were saying, I know what God's word means, and it doesn't mean what it says. 2 Peter 3 16, Peter describes the, these, the, these men as untaught and unstable, and, and, and they distort scriptures to their own destruction. 
they are interpreting scriptures wrongly. See, the truth of scripture is not a matter of someone's explaining of what it says. Scripture, what scripture means is dependent upon what the author meant, not on what the teacher of scripture says. And that is our job. Our job is not just to say it means this. It is to see what God meant. He says, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own, 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 own interpretation. We are not independent of it. We don't get to just go to it and say, well, I think it means this, and I think it means this. Or even very authoritatively, it means this. Unless we have studied it and labored over it, and worked at it, and thought about it, to understand what indeed it means. And then our goal is, is not to exalt ourselves over it, but to submit ourselves under it. In verse 21, Peter explains why. Why is it not a matter of one's own, own interpretation? And he says in verse 21, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. See, Scripture and interpreting Scripture is not something that man can do in an independent way. They, they, they don't get to take and choose which portions of Scripture they want. It's not a matter of our fancy. It's not a matter, it is, it, it is not something that we should do in a fickle way. We are not to be over the Word, but to be under it. Because Scripture is not a matter of human will. It is a matter of what God spoke. Men moved by the Holy Spirit. And this is well taught in Scripture, that Scripture is the production, the, the production of God's Spirit through men. And, and I'm going to read, 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 read a couple verses uh, to, to give us some background. In Numbers 11.29, Moses says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. There Moses understood that, that, that God's prophets have to be spoken of through God's spirit. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 2, David writes, The spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Can you imagine that? Saying God's spirit is speaking through me. In Nehemiah 9.30, and and and. and and here is a prayer, how God admonished them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. It's very clear in, in the teaching of the Old Testament was that they understood that God's word was the production of God's spirit speaking through men. It is a teaching that, 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 that is repeated in the New Testament many times. In Mark 12, 36, Jesus says, David himself said, in, in the Holy Spirit, and, and, and he quotes the Psalm of David. David himself said in the Holy Spirit, Jesus understood that David was speaking with the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.16. This same Peter says, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. Again, the Holy Spirit spoke through David. 1 Peter 1.11 1, 
describes how the prophet seeking to know what, 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 what person or time or what thing or what time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And I bring those up to show that God's word clearly teaches that God's word is the production of God's spirit speaking through men. 2 Timothy 3.16, speaking of, of, of all of Scripture, using the same word Scripture here. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in, in righteousness. Now, we don't know exactly how this happens. We have never been inspired by God. We have never, well, in, in a Scripture, that is God-breathed, but we have never had this process of God's Spirit speaking to us His Word. He describes it as this, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And that word moved can, can mean uh, to, to, to be driven by the wind. A way a boat's sails is filled with, 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 with wind. It really gives a good picture, but we don't want make, to make too much of that. There's something mysterious happening here, something that God is doing when Scripture is being written so that he, so that the, the author knows that what he's saying is God's word. Now, it is fascinating here. Peter uses the same word four times, but, 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 but we don't notice it in our English Bibles. I'm going to show it to you because it shows that the voice of God that came out of heavens uh, to, to, to to, to say to Christ, this is my, is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, is the same verb he, he uses to speak, of, to, to, to speak of Scripture. So in, in, in verse 17, it says, the, the utterance as this was, was, was made to him. And that word made it is, is translated as moved or carried or brought. Okay, So Scripture, so this, this utterance, God speaking, this, this sound was brought to Jesus by God. It's, it's used in verse 17. But it's used again in verse 18. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from, made from heaven. It's that same word there in verse 18, made. This utterance brought from, from, from heaven. Okay. But wait until you see verse 21. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. No, no prophecy was ever made, was ever brought, was ever carried, was, was ever produced by an act of human will. So that, that, that same verb that is describing God speaking from heaven, saying that no prophecy was ever spoken by man. It was never spoken by human will. It was never someone saying, I think I'm going to write scripture. But he uses that word, one more time, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men, men brought or carried by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And one commentary says that no prophecy was carried out by the human will. The human beings were carried along by, 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 by the Holy Spirit. So no prophecy was carried out, was brought about by human will. The human beings were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God. And that's a profound way, a, a, a simple way to talk about what happens in how we got God's word. 
Jeremiah 1 describes, the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And yet he just didn't do that, so he just zapped them and, and they just had the words. They, 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 they're, they're still people who use language and, and, and have to write in their own words and, and their background is influencing their word choice. And that's why when you read scripture, it can sound so different because he spoke through men. This is in contrast with the false prophets. In Jeremiah 14, verses 13 and 14 says, Look, the prophets are telling them, You will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. The false prophets of Jeremiah's day were saying, Everything's going to be fine. Everything is going to be great, and things are going to keep going. That's, that's the same thing they were saying in Peter's day. And that's the same thing that, that, that most people teach now. The world's just going to keep going. But the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Scripture only comes from God speaking through men. So Peter, Peter here is building confidence that, that confidence in the nature of God's word. He, he, he's calling them to build their lives upon these prophecies. To live as if they are true. And that's only going to happen if they come humbly to God's word, to hear God speak. You have to have a conviction that it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. You just don't get to say, well, I think it, I, I think it means this, and you think it means that. Well, and I think we're probably both right. It's not a matter of one's own interpretation. The false teachers just don't get to say, it means this. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. We're not free to interpret it however we want, and it didn't come from man. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God, and this is why you can place your confidence on it. This is why you can build your life on these promises. This is why Jesus is worth giving up everything for, why it's worth picking up your cross and following, because his promises are true. See, none of God's word should be handled in a casual way or, 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 or a flippant way. If, 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 if you ever see someone uh, 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 holding a priceless painting or an artifact in a museum, they handle it with, 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 with gloves, right? And, and, and if they have to take it out of the frame, they do it in a temperature-controlled room. And they protect it from too much light, that's what people do with something that everyone is going to forget about. How much more cautious ought we to be with God's precious word? See, God's word is not a matter of one's own interpretation. We do have to interpret it because it does mean something. But our goal is to understand what God spoke, not to make it say what we mean. We, we can never ignore what the author meant God's words are, are not a roadblock that we just kind of like, well, that's kind of an uncomfortable portion of Scripture. I'm going to just kind of get around that so I can go on and live my life the way that I want. And 
this, the, the, this danger to reinterpret Scripture the way that you want is especially obvious when you're trying to free yourself from obedience. You're trying to justify a, a, a compromise, trying to avoid the restrictions of God's Word. And, and that's what the false teachers were doing. They're trying to justify living in a certain way. So how's the best way to, to, to do that? Well, yeah, I accept God's word. It just doesn't mean what it says. Instead, we ought to be like young Samuel when he came to God's word. Speak, for your servant is listening. And that's how we are, ought to be with all of Scripture. That's how we ought to be with the promises in Scripture, with the prophecy in Scripture. Speak, for your servant is listening. And listening is going to require work. And not just heart work. The truth of Scripture is timeless, but it's written in time. And you probably, most of you know this, Scripture is written between 2,000 and 3,400 year, years ago. It's going to require a little effort. We should seek to become better listeners and it will, that will require us to become clear thinkers. We're going to have to take God's word. We're going to have to spend some time on it. We're going to have to think about it. We're going to have to meditate on it. We're going to have to, 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 to exert some, some, some mental energy. Now, we don't all have the same skill. We don't all have the, the same training at, at interpreting scripture. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. But we can all have the same zeal the same desire, the same earnestness. We should all be saying, I must hear my Lord. And that's just not to, to read it and just kind of like let it wash over us. We're going to have to think on it. I must hear my Lord. I have to know what he is like. I must know what he requires of me. I must treasure what he has revealed regarding the future. I'm here to listen, and is that you? Do you open up God's word with that zeal and saying, I, I know it means something. I have to know what it means. God has spoken. Come humbly to God's word because that's how God speaks to us. Come humbly to hear his word, not to rationalize away what he says. And that is what the false teachers were, were, were doing. We're, we're looking at his promises we're looking at his instructions saying, we don't really need to do that. He's not really coming back. We want to be like children waiting outside of the restroom. Right? We've got careful instructions. It doesn't matter how long. It doesn't matter how nervous you get. You just have to do one thing. You just have to listen to what your dad says. If we listen to what Peter says here, we're going to wait confidently for God to fulfill the rest of his promises. We're going to pay attention to his promises like a light shining in a dark place. We're going to come humbly to God's word because that's how God spoke through men. We're waiting because we know that the day of the Lord is coming and we know that the morning star will arise. We will see Christ. And we know this because men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So are we coming to listen? Speak for your servants listening. Let's pray.
Father, we um, are aware that in this Christian walk, um, those that we were so confident knew you at one point have drifted. And Lord, we don't want the same uh, to happen to us, Lord. We want to be faithful. We want to, 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 to cling to your promises. We want to follow them like, like that, that light in a mind. And if we leave it, we'll be, we'll, we'll be lost forever. We want to hold to your promises. We want to pay attention to them. We want to listen to your instructions. And Lord, we don't do this in, in fear. We're, we're, we're confident, God. We, we, we have seen promises already kept. We've seen prophecies made thousands of years ago already fulfilled. And Lord, we want to be faithful. Lord, we pray, Father, that you uh, would really um, unite our hearts as they are united around your word. And scripture again and again, um, uh, the, the New Testament is full of these promises of Christ. Re, 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 return of these, of just even thinking about First Peter one, Father, how you call us. To 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 hold on. Um, That though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls, Lord. You've given us that joy in your son. And Lord, we want to to hold on until until Christ is, is revealed. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to hold on to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just as Peter was talking about in 1 Peter, he continues with the same theme. Lord. So I do pray that you would unite our, our hearts that love Jesus, unite our hearts that are, are eager for his, his return, and help us to hold on to these promises, waiting for the, for the return of your Son, waiting for you to make this wrong world right, and waiting for you to have justice, and waiting for you to, to bring reward for those people who are continuing in, in obedience to you. Father, help us to be, to be faithful. I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to be good listeners of your word. And I pray, uh, Lord, that you would uh, be building convictions. Father, I pray for, for, for those who have been struggling with, 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 with freshness in, in your word when they go to it, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would help them to be, to be guarded in their time and guarded with their minds and that they would go to your word convinced that it actually is your word that you spoke through men. I pray, Father, that we would go, f- go to your word with an eagerness to, to meditate and to think and, and, and to study to the amount of skills that we have and to the amount of time that we have, that we'd be good listeners of your word. I pray, Father, that we'd be eager to apply what, what, what we have learned this morning, and that we would pay attention uh, to to the revelation of yourself. Father, I thank you for this encouragement for us, and I pray that you would help us to be faithful to it. In Jesus' name, amen.